0: StoryCorps Detroit is supported by the Detroit Historical Society.
1: From Detroit's public radio station, WDET, this is StoryCorps Detroit. We take interviews of Detroiters by Detroiters and share them with you. I'm Sasha Ryan. Here with me today is StoryCorps Detroit producer, Laura Herberg. Hey, Laura. Hi, Sasha. So this week is the anniversary of what some call a riot, some call a rebellion, others may call the civil disturbance that happened in Detroit on July 23rd in 1967. And so you've brought us some stories related to that.
2: Yes, I have.
1: And the stories revolve around a theme?
2: Yeah. So all of the stories that we'll be playing today are from the perspective of kids. We have two oral histories, One from a gentleman who was 14 back in 1967 and had a front row seat. Then we have another from a woman who was 12 back in 67, and her father actually owned a record store where the rioting happened. But first, I want to play you some tape that I collected from people who are kids today.
1: So kids who weren't there, kids who weren't even around in 1967.
2: Yeah, they they were yet to be born. So they attend the James and Grace Lee Boggs School, which is a community-based public charter school in Detroit with strong roots in social justice philosophy. I visited them before the school year let out in June, just after they wrapped up a unit on what happened in Detroit in 1967. And here's what they had to say.
3: I, I would call it a rebellion, just because a riot makes it seem like people were just like burning stuff and destroying stuff just because, but there were reasons, like people were really, they wanted change. Well, in 1967, on July 23rd, I believe, um, the blind pig was raided because it was an illegal drinking and gambling bar. And somebody threw a bottle at a police car, so... Then that's when police got mad. They added a little bit too much force. And so they tried to arrest all 85 people who were there. And the entire community, like around the bar, got kind of angry, a lot angry, and they kind of just exploded with rage. It was a riot. It was like back before the riot, riot happened, People was getting police, and it was segregation happening, racism and sexism. So I guess the black people had uh, fed up enough. And it just took that one time to just, like, too much. It was just too much, and that just pushed them over the edge. It felt, like, really sad because 43 people had died, and a whole lot of uh, houses got messed up because of the rebellion. Well, it changed Detroit in a lot of ways. There are more black police officers and more black officials. After the riot, it led to our first black mayor, Coleman a. Young. I believe a lot of people moved out of Detroit, and then Detroit started being seen as like a really violent city. Some of the things that were happening in 67 still happen today. They just don't happen as outwardly, I would say. People really still don't get along. I know that, like, the whites, like, still, like, kind of don't like the blacks still, but I don't, like, I like all colors. Like, I'm not racist. Nothing, they keep saying nothing, like, barely changed from 50 years ago because everybody's still getting killed. Everybody don't even care about what happened 50 years ago. They don't want to make their place better. They just want to um keep going at it. My name is Cariel Crosby and I'm 11 years old. I am Sharon Renee Johnson, I'm 12 years old. Uh, my name is Ajani DeFris, I am 12 years old. My name is Lily Catherine Bernards Smutkowski and I'm 10 years old. Okay, my name is Talia Hope Brown and I'm 12. Hi, I'm Elijah Watson, I'm 12 years old. My name is Kamari Ray, and I'm 13 years old. My name is Oscar Campbell and I'm 10 years old. I am Trevor Crosby and I am
1: 13 years old. So those were all students who attend the James and Grace Lee Boggs School in Detroit. The music used comes from a song called Five Piece by Black Ant. That's a pretty good understanding of some historical events.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't spend too much time around the little ones, but every time I do, I'm blown away. And these kids were no exception. They are amazing. Okay, uh, What's next? So this next piece is from the perspective of Curtis Rogers, Jr. He's 64 years old now, and he sat down with his 82-year-old mother, Clarice Rogers. They talked about what Curtis was up to when violence erupted in the city on July 23rd. At the time, their family had recently moved to northwest Detroit from their old neighborhood near Boston Edison.
4: I caught the bus over to the old neighborhood to just hang out with my friends there, For some reason, no one was—not all my closest friends were around. So I decided I was going to walk over to uh, your brother's house, my uncle. I was walking around like a Christmas tree. <laughs> had a white straw hat, black band, low red feather sticking out. I had a navy blue short sleeve gabardine shirt, western stitch, and I had these lime green pants. <laughs> and I mean, I just thought I was the sharpest dude ever. <laughs> and walking over, I crossed liver noise. liver noise. was clear. And I mean, it was just a beautiful summer day. And I got to Dexter. And all this smoke and people and commotion... And I'm like, what is going on, you know? I didn't know, but I continued on, and I got down to uh, my cousin's house. And my friends over there, they were, man, it's going going on. I don't know, what's going on? It's a riot, a riot. So I, I snuck away, and I walked over to Linwood with my friend, which was about a block away, and the same thing. Smoke, people, chaos, people just running and looting and everything, and I was like, "Wow!" So we go back to the house, and we we're sitting on the porch and we're watching all these people in cars. They have car loads of stuff, <laughs> just radios. People had color TVs, suits. They had bicycles, whatever, you know. I was getting ready to go down there and try to, you know, start looting myself and my aunties. You come right back here and you get back on this porch. <laughs> so so that's all I did is I just watched. I, I had a ringside seat. And I just watched people just going back and forth all day long. They burned the businesses on Linwood and Vicksburg and Virginia Park. And to this day, they're still vacant lots. That started the decline of the neighborhoods. Yeah. And of course when Because those t- businesses never came back and they're still not there. Right. There's nothing there. But one thing that I want to get back to was that I never really noticed any— Actual race war type stuff, like violence—you know, whites and blacks fighting that type yeah. of thing it, but no, it wasn't really like that, because I mean, there weren't that many white folks in the neighborhood anyway. Who, who so it wasn't about that. I, I, the whole thing arose uh, from um, back then. The police very were known president. as they were very pre- ever present. And they were trying to maintain the established suppression-type thing, uh, authority, and, you know. Very much so. They were mostly white. Yeah. And they rode four deep. Yeah. Four deep meaning four. It wasn't like car 54. You got two guys in there with a partner. They rode four deep. That was the name of the police in Detroit, in the, on the inner city, city uh, where all the blacks live, was the Big Four. Oh, I We'd see. The I remember four. that term. Yeah. Yeah, the Big Four. Yeah. To us, it was like an occupation of our neighborhood, trying really disturbing our vibe.
1: That was Curtis Rogers Jr. speaking to his mother, Clarice Rogers. It was recorded by StoryCorps at the Detroit Institute of Arts. It's really interesting to hear him talk about wanting to kind of get in on the looting, because when we hear people talk about history, they usually don't own up to anything they were thinking that isn't, you know, super positive.
2: Yeah, I I think that in that moment, I don't think it had much more to do for this 14-year-old than if I go down there, I might be able to get a free bike. And I think that he he was able to tap back into, you know, that perception of of that instance. And that's really valuable. That makes the stories really valuable to be able to have an
1: honest perspective on what you feel and what you experienced. Absolutely.
2: And you have one more story for us. Yes. This next one comes from Marsha Music, who is a notable Detroit storyteller and writer. Back in 1967, she was just 12 years old. And here's her story about her father. I would start out on the night
0: in a hot summer day. It was in July of 1967. And my father got a phone call in the middle of the night. Someone told him, there's something going on over on 12th Street. He was a record producer. He had been producing records in Detroit in his record store, which he opened in 1945 in Detroit after World War II. He produced the people that walked in into his record shop off of Hastings Street because it was a reflection of the dynamism of the city at the time. Detroit was extremely dynamic. So my father had received this phone call on the night of July in 1967, July 23rd. And he goes over to the record shop on 12th Street because now he has moved. He'd been over there on uh, 12th Street about seven years. And he goes over to 12th Street and finds that the unrest is full-blown. By this time, we knew what was going on because this type of unrest had been happening all over the country. And it was like almost like a matter of time before it came to Detroit. But see, one of the curious things about Detroit was that it was believed that unrest of this magnitude would not happen here. But there was an ignoring of the real turmoil that was going on underneath the surface, you know, where blacks could not get jobs in uh, certain industries. They would bar them from skilled trades. They were relegated to certain jobs. So you had a level of oppressiveness that existed all over the city, along with the police presence, too. So my dad had been on 12th Street in the second day, and he had gone over there to protect his store. He gathered up his gun and and sat outside the store with the other store owners as the looting began to move southward down 12th Street. And at a certain point, the National Guard told him he had to leave. And he was always very bitter about that. There was a part of him that always felt that if he could have just stayed there and protected his store, it would not have been ruined. I remember the stench of smoke and the evidence of complete mayhem and the hellishness of 12th Street. On that day when we returned, the hellishness of those burned buildings and those destroyed buildings and glass everywhere. So when we walked back into that record store, and I could see all of these reel-to-reel tapes on the ground opened up, and these tapes were all over. The scotch tape, brown scotch tape, were all over the ground as we kind of stumbled over all of this debris and detritus And I remember even as this kid knowing that there was a whole lot of voices in those tapes that would never be heard, you know, because that was probably my dad's lifetime of tapes of all of these people that he had been recording for many years. So I have said, and I do say that the day that my father walked into that record shop, and saw that his livelihood like that had been destroyed and his life's work had been destroyed. I say that my father died on that day, and I am very, very grateful that I was old enough that I remember my father when he was a great man on Hastings Street.
1: That was Detroit-based storyteller and writer Marsha Music. She was recorded at the Urban Consulate here in Detroit. This excerpt was produced by Hannah Barg. That's really interesting to think about the kinds of loss that people really did suffer. You think about the looting, but there was really more loss than that. There was the loss of this music that Marsha Music mentioned and the loss of businesses. And And certainly we hear a lot about people losing that sense of safety.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and like she says, she feels that her father never really recovered from what he lost. Hmm. Well, thank you so much, Laura.
1: You're welcome. I'm Sasha Ryan, and that's it for this episode of StoryCorps Detroit. Thanks for joining us. We'll have more next week. This podcast is a production of WDET, Detroit's public radio station. This episode was produced by Laura Herberg with help from Sam Bobian. Our music is by Will Sessions. If you want to make sure you hear the next episode, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There, you can also leave us a review, which helps people find us. For more information about StoryCorps' visit to Detroit, go to WDET.org slash StoryCorps, with Cor spelled C-O-R-P-S. StoryCorps Detroit is supported by the Detroit Historical Society. If you're listening right now and you want to hear more stories about 1967, WDET has put together a series that includes pieces from the WDET archive. Just go to WDET.org slash 1967. One of the pieces you'll find there right now is on what to call what happened in 1967. Riot, rebellion, civil disturbance or something else? Check it out.